Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of the Endurance Asia podcast. When we started the podcast, we we talked about the diversity of endurance sports and focusing not just on running or trail running, but adventure racing, triathlon, OCR, obstacle course racing, and uh, and cycling. And this week we've uh, we've got our, our first cyclist on the uh, on, on the podcast. Alan Grant is the co-founder of the uh, the Mavericks cycling team, amateur cycling team here in Singapore, and a team that has won call roughly like 800 um, or been on about 800 podiums uh, across Asia in uh, in a lot of the races across across the region as age groupers and and in open races and Alan's the founder of the team and but he's also a, a real challenger in terms of uh, seeking out challenges to take on um, he's done three Everest things in uh, in Singapore so that's uh, cycling up and down a mountain to the to the uh, cumulative elevation of Everest um, and he's just like brilliant guy like really um uh, re- really cool dude and he shares uh, he shares a story of like how he got into cycling he's got a real um, diverse background of endurance sports as well um, but he's done some done some really cool challenges. So uh, re- enjoyed the discussion. Also, catch up with uh, with Rick at the end of the podcast because it's been a pretty amazing week in the world of endurance sports with world records in uh, in inverted commas being smashed in in both um, the men's marathon and women's marathon. Uh, as well as the um, the world championships in Kona for the Ironman, um, the the world record was uh, was smashed there as well. So people continue to push the boundaries of what the human uh, the, of what humans are capable of, and um, and continue to inspire others. So um, yeah, look forward to discussing those at the end of the podcast. So with that, here is. Alan Grant. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Alan Grant, welcome to the Endurance Asia podcast. Thank you, Scott. Oh, Pleasure to be here. Oh, mate, it's really good to have you on. You are the very first like, dedicated cyclist, although I know you've got a bit of a tri background and uh, but a mixture of mountain biking and, and cycling. Um, but yeah, really, uh, I, I was really chuffed for you, um, for you to come on to the podcast. Uh, actually, I just wanted to like, start with how I sort of found out about you. Obviously, you're like a, uh, a and I'm interested to hear like how you've ended up in Singapore and your background, but I first came across you when I was, uh, I was planning an Everesting of Mount Faber to do for charity. And obviously, like you go and research, oh, has anyone done it before? And there was like a proper blog from you having done it. I think it would probably would have been around like 2017 or 2016. No, it was, it was July 2014. 
214 was the was the first one that you, that you did yeah um, and it was extremely helpful for me I mean just understanding the exact process you went through to it it's like okay it made it a lot easier to be able to uh, to be able to to follow your uh, your blueprint for it so I appreciate that we like raised a lot of money for charity and um, and yeah reading your blog was very um very helpful with that flat spoke media is uh, yeah is your blog you so. went faster than me I think it's, it's not a race but you did go no it's not a race so <laughs> I, what I really learned from your blog as well is that I um so I was really regimented around like the so I do ten laps ten minute break ten laps ten minute break and I set up camp at the top where as I think you went to like a restaurant and like ate food a little bit I did and did a little bit more chilled but I was like right okay I'm gonna um do it pretty regimented but um but with that mate yeah it'd be good to hear your sort of like backstory like um yeah where you're from where you grew up like how you ended up like becoming a crazy cyclist well I grew up in a, a little town called Wishaw in central Scotland it's about 15 miles east of Glasgow, and uh, I cycled and ran as a kid, but there was no structured sport, so it was all solo. There was no structured cycling or, or running at school. So I, uh, I did a bit of cross country, but I did it all on my own, mostly, and cycling, it was an hour, an hour and a half, up and down the hills of Scotland, yeah. of the central Scotland. And I used to pretend I was Robert Miller. Uh, some of your Listeners may not know who Robert Miller is, but he was a very famous Scottish cyclist in the 70s and 80s, and he was very successful in the Tour de France. He finished on the podium one year, and he won the Tour, the King of the Mountains jersey. So I used to pretend I was him. Uh, was he a GC rider, general classification rider? Yeah, he was rider, a GC was rider, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finished on the podium once in the, on the GC, finished third. Wow. And he had the, the Vuelta España stolen from him one year by the... By all the Spanish teams ganging up on him on the last stage. Really? What team yeah. was he in? Oh, very, various. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he moved around. He was around a Peugeot. But the mm. one he was more... Zed. Zed. There was a multicoloured <coughs> jersey team called Zed. Something Zed. That was one of his most famous teams. But uh, Yeah. And he so was he a, was like growing up, it was a bit of an inspiration for yeah, you? Then, was definitely. It? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was, yeah. And did, so did your like, parents like, buy you a road bike from I a had, kid? Yes, I had a, an old rally. Yes. A three or five speed rally. I had it until I left home when I was 24. Yeah. I, I entrusted it to my younger brother and, it, and half of my record collection disappeared over the years. So I don't know what <laughs> happened to it. I've actually but. still got I've got a couple of rally bikes back at my mum's place which uh, uh, yeah I don't know why in the in the UK they're actually pretty terrible bikes really and I, mean, I think back in the day they would have been quite good but then they lost their way a little bit well I loved it I, yeah. I loved it and it was a road bike it was, it like was a, a road bike yeah. drop, Race, drop we called them racers yeah, yeah, yeah. Was so yeah I, uh, yeah I was hooked by cycling but I didn't do any there was a local club called the Law Wheelers but I yeah. was too intimidated to join them so I just rode on my own and I just enjoyed it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't really come to endurance sports until I I moved to New York when I was in my early 30s yeah. and I lived next to Central Park right and I had to lose some weight we had just had my son and I was 90 kilos wow I'm 70 now so I and all these people were running around the park. So yeah. I, I started running around the park. Got a baby jogger to begin with. And then I, I increased my distances. 
and there was a great outfit called the New York Roadrunners Club, and they put races on every weekend in the park. Various yeah. differences from one mile, the famous Fifth Avenue Mile. I yeah. did that in 5Ks, 9 miles, 15Ks, half marathons, and I became hooked. And so you actually, like, it was running that was your main well, when you first got into endurance yeah, sports. Because, yeah, because I would say I had a lost decade from my, from my mid-20s to mid-30s. Yeah. I was working and traveling in Australia and throughout Southeast Asia. And what, I did, what were you doing for work? I'm a journalist. I was working yeah. for newspapers yeah. around the region. What, what newspapers were you I, In Bangkok, I worked for three. There was one called the uh, Thailand Times, one called Business Day, and then a newspaper called Asia Times, which was the best job I've ever had in my life. Yeah. It sadly went bust. It was one of the first victims of the Asian financial crisis in yeah. 1997. Okay. And so then I moved to Hong Kong and for three years I worked at the South China Morning Post. There you go. It was a great job too. Yeah, I didn't actually know that, that you worked for the SCMP. Yeah, yeah. But, but for 10 years, probably mid-20s, mid-30s, I wasn't doing much of exercising. I was uh, enjoying life. Yes. And uh, it was when we moved to America with my wife's job. I met yeah. my wife in Hong Kong yeah. that I started to get a bit more back into the, to the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it started with um, laps around, uh, around the park, uh, Central Park. park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long, yeah. How long did you spend in New York? How we Four years. Here? Okay. And then on the first year there, the New York Marathon ran by our house on First Avenue, our ah. apartment. And I said, I'm going to do that next year. It turns out I didn't. I didn't get in. Uh, you had to qualify or, yeah. or the ballot. You could qualify by doing nine races, local races, or the ballot, and I missed out. I, but I did do my first marathon four months later, or three months later in Washington, D.C. Yeah. I did a 325. I was very happy with it. Nice. Loved it. Uh, still got the shoes and a pair of cheap Reeboks. And uh, then I was, I was kind of, I loved the running. It was great. Yeah. So I ran. I still wasn't cycling much. Yeah. I was just running. Yeah. And from, from New York, did you move back to Hong Kong from there or back to Asia? No, no we came here. Okay, so you've actually been in Singapore for like 20 years or so? 15 years. 15 years, got you, got yeah. you. What, what brought you here, was it? My but, wife's job. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, My yeah. wife's, uh, she's, a, she's a bit of a star in the world of advertising. Is she really? What, what agency does she uh, work for? She works for the Dentsu Aegis Agency. Excellent. But she yeah. works for one of their, she runs one of their sub-companies called iProspect. Know them well. She's the global president. Okay. Is she really? Yes, I was up in Japan the other week and actually met with the Dentsu team. And, uh, and yeah, well, we should take that one offline. But um, yeah, no, it's an amazing agency. Like a really, uh, really cool agency. Oh, very cool. And, and is she passionate about endurance sports as well? She is. What does she do? Uh, the best thing I ever did was get Ruth into cycling slash endurance sports because yeah. then it became a family hobby yeah. rather than just my hobby. Yeah. Before she got into it, I had one bike in her house. Once she got into it, it was easier to, for more bikes to move in. And she has three. Ruth has three bikes. Really? She has a S-Works Fench. Yeah. She has a Cervelo P3. And she has a specialized mountain bike. She doesn't use the latter so much, but she has... Just three bikes. Yeah, yeah. That's, such a, that's such a good idea, getting your better half into, uh, into the sport that you're... Uh, do you ride together as well? Does she, uh... Yes, we... Well, not so much, no. We used to ride a bit. She, she's not riding as much as she used to. She had uh, some hip problems a few years back. Yeah. She's getting back into it. Yeah. But she moved more into the yoga side and the strength training side. Yeah. 
But she had, she did an Ironman. We did our first Ironman together. You did? Where, which one? WA, Western Australia. The Bustleton. Yeah. Nice. And she's done 15 half Ironman. Wow. She's been at the top of all the big uh, mountains in the Alps. She's done Alp Duez, the Galibier, Vontu several times. All on a road bike? As All on a road bike, yeah. That's so, phenomenal. Wow. And we, and we go to the French Alps to Lake Annecy every, every summer. Yeah, on for holiday, and we just ride and eat and have a great time with the whole family. Yeah, so. that's very cool. I mean, uh, quite a few people that we've had on on the podcast are, um, you know, like some proper, like serious C-suite professionals. We had like Andre Bluberg, who's um, who's the CTO of CLP, the um, the energy company, and uh, and yeah, finding the time still to be able to to have like a the professional career and then be, still be able to train and to do how many Ironman, half Ironmans did you say she's done? She did fifteen. Wow, that's phenomenal because there's a lot of training that goes yeah. into that. Yeah. Well, she maybe didn't do. She trained, but she always said she didn't do enough training she was yeah. she wasn't going out there to try and win it although yeah. she did get on podiums and stuff uh, yeah. in various triathlons she just was doing it because she enjoyed it sort of yeah. she was yeah. always in pain but she she loved the challenge yeah so. yeah so moving to singapore 15 years ago was that when you really got into road cycling was it yeah that's when i got back into it yeah, yeah. but it was through triathlon uh Got you. My friend, my great friend Ned Phillips, who I think you should have on an endurance podcast. Yeah. He, he's a legend. Right. He is an absolute legend. He, I met him in Sydney in 1991 and kept in contact even in the days before email. I don't know how we managed that. It must have been letters. And it so happened he was living in Singapore. And he said, "Oh boy," he says, "you have to take up triathlon." I've, do you know what? I've actually seen a, uh, a YouTube video of him, um, like a TED Talk. Yes. Did he do a TED Talk about, and it was, um, was it about Ironman or it was about yes. running a marathon? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. No, it might have been he was... When he ran around Singapore, maybe? I'm not yeah, sure. He's done, he's done, he's done a couple done, of things, he's done right? He's a couple of crazy things. And, because I think he did like uh, when he was coming up to his 40th or 50th, it might have been, and he was like running 50 miles. 50, like, no, when he was 40th, he ran 60Ks. He, his challenge was going to be every year yeah. he would make it up to 100 whatever his age was yeah he was, so the, the next year he'd be 41 he would do 59 yeah so yeah. that year he did 60 and I, I ran 30 of the 60 with him so and what was it so it was 60k um, to add up to 100 but is that like a week or like a, no what no was in, it? In, on one run on one run yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but he's done a lot of other stuff yeah, but yeah. he 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 said, you've got to get into triathlon. I was like, oh, I can't swim. And uh, I don't have a road bike. I had a, an old clunker that I bought in Hong Kong. Steel thing, 12 kilograms, hybrid, flat bars. Uh, but he said, no, we'll, we'll get into triathlon. And so uh, he persuaded me to enter the sprint race for the Singapore triathlon in 2005. But I got injured and I couldn't do it. But then... But a week before the inaugural Bintan Triathlon in 2005, he said, I've got us two bandit spots. Two friends of his couldn't do it. And he yeah. says, you want to do it? Grab someone else's. And this um, was an Olympic distance. I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not ready. And he says, ah, you can do it. I did it on the old clunker. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was hooked. Bought a road bike three days later. Yeah. And uh, that was a Scott Speedster I got from Colin Tan at Bike House. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I became sort of hooked on triathlon I learned how to swim started doing a bit more running and but it was mostly just triathlon for a few years uh, yeah. I stuck to yeah. and I, I always said I would never do an, an Ironman 
I never would, but five years later I did. Yeah. Uh, and that was the bus. Have you done a few Iron Men, or have I've you done just two? I okay. did that one. I said never again. I found it the most boring yeah. thing I had ever done. I picked the wrong course. Where? Uh, what was the Busselton, other one? it's yeah. it's flat, and they said everybody said for your first one, do it. It's nice and easy, but yeah. I need a bit of challenge. So the yeah. bike course was three laps of sixty, and it was oh. just windy and it was flat. And I did a good bike time. I was five or five or something like that. And I, I got off the bike, and I was just I was just bored on the flat run too. Yeah. I think I did 10.37, and, but I said I would never do another one. Yeah. And I didn't for six years. 10.37 is a pretty solid time, right? It was okay, but I, yeah. I, I just didn't enjoy the experience. Yeah. I didn't even finish writing my race report because I just was underwhelmed by the whole thing. Yeah. And so then, by then, I had started bike racing. Uh, that year we had, yeah, that year was a big step up in the bike racing, 2010, 2011. And the yeah. Ironman was in 2011, yeah. the one I did. So, so then it took a back seat. And it was more the cycling I got into yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. And you've properly got into it as well, haven't you? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I live, breathe, sleep, eat it, whatever that expression is. I, I, I love it. I live for it. Yeah. I ride every day if I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where does that... I mean, obviously, you talked about getting the rally bike as a kid. Um, but were, like, your, were your parents into cycling or like into running or anything or not at all where, yeah where, like where, did, where, where do you think is the where did it come from that sort of like the passion that you've got for it now it must have uh, it must have sort of come from I have no some... idea I have no idea really I played golf as a kid yeah as many people in Scotland do it's yeah. not a rich man's game in Scotland it's, yeah. the, it's the working working class game I came from a working class background yeah and I played golf so there's no athletic yeah. performance at all in golf you just walk around and uh, it's more of a oh, they, oh, they, hand-eye guy, coordination this guy I was pretty good I, I was alright I had a single figure handicap but I nice but I don't know where, how it how I ended up being hooked on this endurance stuff I really don't know yeah there is actually I, I listen to a guy called Brad Kearns who does um, not Brad Kearns but um, um, he does a um, a podcast, but he's got uh, he does speed golf. I don't know if you've ever heard of speed golf. So like basically, you're like running the full course at a full pelt, um, and uh, that yeah might be an interesting. There's thing a to try there's a also. famous Ironman here in Singapore called Dai Matsui, a Japanese yeah. guy, and he's run he's set up some speed golf thing, and that. Yes. I'd love to start playing golf again, but when it's you, so expensive in Singapore. Uh, it's well. not the expense that's killing me. I, I, I hadn't even thought about that. It's the time. If, yeah. if I'm spending five or six hours a day on the bike, I can't then do five or six hours on the golf. So. Man, the, the, it's exactly the same for me. Like a few mates sort of say, like, oh, I'll come and play golf. Like when I was back in the UK, I'm, I'm not even going to get started because if I start doing golf as well as trail running, mountain biking, and everything, like I'll end up with a divorce. <laughs> and like, um, it's just, I've already cho- chosen a time consuming enough sport. If you add golf into that it's uh i'll hold that for i think we should hold that for when we're when our knees properly give up on us or <laughs> although having said that cycling is great in that respect right because it's low impact you can uh, yeah you can do it right into your later years right and yeah would you say that you've actually because you're uh you'd like you just turned 50 last year. I'm 52. You're 52 now, aren't you? Would you say that you have actually, you're, you're fitter now than you were in your 40s? Uh, I don't know, actually. No, I, I've slowed a bit. Yeah. Maybe I've got more endurance. Yeah. But I've, I wouldn't say I was fitter. I'm, 
I, I can still keep up with the young guys in our team, the the younger guys. It's the, Mavericks is the, the team Maverick, you're in uh, Yeah, specialised Robo Mavericks. Yeah. Uh, cycling team that I helped set up in 2010. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I can still keep up for spurts if I'm, if I'm sitting in the wheels, mm. but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite as fast as I used to be. So I, I'm probably overall fitter. I'm, I'm also older, so I'm a bit smarter. I do... Uh, I mix it up. I, I do a bit of yoga. I do a bit of strength training, yeah. and so maybe that all helps. I haven't been injured as much recently in the last couple of years. I used to have yeah. a lot of injuries, but you get what, older and smarter. So. What, you used to have a lot of injuries when I you were of, doing triathlons. Yeah, or? and running. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I had knee issues when I was in New York. I didn't run for about a year until I moved here. Right. Uh, a physio here called Janice Stevens at Physio Focus fixed me up the first day, and I was running again. Uh, then I've had lower back issues. I had a couple of crashes. I had a really bad crash coming down Genting Highlands in in Malaysia ten years ago, where I smashed up my leg in many pieces, broke my wrists, and I had to rebuild my whole body. It actually helped me. Actually, I think that crash made me a better cyclist because it was a six months rebuilding process with the physios. When did this happen? February two thousand and nine. It was Black Friday. Right. Yeah. And and was it? Well, yeah. What what happened in the crash? Ah, uh, slammed into a car. But head into on. the back of one. No, head on. Yeah, it was just we were up there watching the Tour de Langkawi, which yeah. is a pro race, a yeah. stage race up in Malaysia. Yeah. And they go to the top of Genting Highlands, which sits about nineteen hundred meters, and it's one of the toughest climbs in cycling. So we went up to watch it, and we got there to the summit first, and then we were going down to five k's down. To the roundabout to watch them coming up and the, we were directed down uh, a road that was technically closed but we had to go down it uh, because the the up road was closed for the cyclists so we were going down it taking our time and i came around a corner and there was a car there and i slammed into it i wasn't the only one to get injured that day so so but I, it's one of these things and like many broken bones yeah and- tibia fibia tibial plateau shattered my broken wrist yeah the compound fractured the bones were sticking out the, the leg oh. blood, was, blood was trickling out yeah and I mean this is one thing I wanted to talk to you about really is just the because um, I, yeah, I didn't know that story and, I, and the one thing I, the challenge and I was thinking while I was cycling to a, to a trail run I did today and race I did today and just it's just the dang, it's not necessarily the danger of you as the cyclist it's the it's the other road users that just aren't aware of cyclists. Like I got cut up by a bus coming back and I'm like, what are you doing? I had to go right up on the curb to avoid a bus. Um, how do you work around that? Like if you're, if you love cycling so much, the amount of hours you spend on the bike, on the roads, like what do you do to sort of minimize the risk? You just have to ride very defensively. You have to assume that every car is going to make a mistake. Um, that's basically it. Uh, I don't think in Singapore there are many deliberately aggressive drivers. I think it's just yeah. a case of uh, they're not taking enough care. We, we, don't have a, we don't have traffic cops here in Singapore. And so yeah. it's a very law-abiding society, but yeah. except for on the road. People, it's, they take a laissez-faire attitude. And I, I'm talking about everybody, but expats as well as locals. We, all, we, all, we don't drive as well as we, we could do, I think. And so... You've just got to assume that people are going to make mistakes. Just be super vigilant, watching the lights, watching the cars from the different angles. Yeah. And then uh, just 
guess hope for the best. Yeah. I love my cycling. People say, I, I've actually had a few accidents and I know my family's had some accidents and they say, shouldn't you quit? And I'm saying, yeah, but I love it. And mountain biking here is not good enough yeah. for you to leave. There's not enough trails yeah. uh, for us to come off the road. So I keep doing it. I'm very careful. Uh, and I'm hope, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, stay yeah, healthy, I, stay safe. And I suppose in Singapore, uh, I lived in Hong Kong for six years as well. And, you know, there's a couple of road cycle routes you would do there. Um, but generally, it's pretty dangerous for a, for a road bike. And then coming to Singapore, where the roads are a lot wider... And obviously, if you get out early enough in the morning, they're pretty empty. So, yeah. I mean, is that like one of the main things, like the Mavericks team that you pulled together? What, what's the sort of, I suppose, firstly, how did that come together? And what is the kind of training plan that you guys all do together? And what, how does the club work? Well, we came together in, I was the road racing director of Anza Cycling in 2010. Ah, okay. And we had, we kept losing groups of cyclists, uh, racers they set up other teams breakaways yeah and we decided me and a bunch of guys let, let's try and set up a, a racing team within anza uh semi-autonomous so we'd keep the best racers or the upcoming racers in the club and we did this for a year uh, it was a bunch of us set it up and it worked for a year but then let's just say it, after a year we kind of uh, became independent i'm not going to get into the details yeah. and which it's a shame we left it because it's a great cycling club, Anza. Yeah. But I, we probably wouldn't have got to the stage we're at now if we had remained part of that bigger group. Yeah. So, yeah, we uh, and then Specialized came on board in 2013, and that took us up to another level because we get great equipment. Yeah. And good support from them and brand recognition, I guess. How many uh, how many people are in the club? Usually about twenty to twenty five because yeah. we're a, we're a racing team rather than a club. Yeah. So the emphasis is on racing, yeah. racing overseas mostly because there aren't a lot of races in Singapore. Yeah. And and so we uh, we train for racing. We have a uh, two key rides. Our Tuesday morning we get up at five o'clock. We start at five thirty, so you're yeah. up at five. Yeah. In fact, it's five twenty one week, five thirty the next week. It's yeah. about sixty seventy. What well, time do you go to bed the night before? Ah, uh, I, I really struggle with the early mornings. Uh, yeah. I'm probably still not in bed till eleven or twelve. I just yeah. suffer on little sleep. Yeah. Then the other key ride is a Saturday. We, uh, we ride 100 to 150 k's on a Saturday. We don't do RTIs because too many traffic lights. We tend to stick... Around the island, RTI. Yeah, yeah, around the island. We don't do that. There's too many traffic lights. So we yeah. stick to Kranji. We'll do yeah. multiple loops. Yeah. Or like today, we did multiple loops of the Tanamera Coastal Road and then multiple loops of the Selatar Airport. So we yeah. got 155 k's in. And yeah, so and it's... Mixture of endurance, drills, and race simulation. Yeah. So we do. And then on a Sunday, there's a inter-club ride called, uh, well, it's got various names. It's a 50k ride. It leaves Upper Thompson Road at 7 a.m. And that's, that's like race simulation. So that's the three key rides of the week. Yeah. And we have, a, as I say, we've got about 25 guys. And uh, we've been uh, racing all over Asia since 2011. Yeah. That's when we first launched. And we've, we've had over... 800 podium, wins and podiums since then. Really, yeah, yeah. We race age group and open. That's cool. And, and so um, I'm quite, actually quite interested in the kind of business behind it. Like, how's it, how's it funded? Obviously, you're sponsored by Specialized. Is that like they, they give you the gear, bikes, help with kit? Or, um, well, we get help with kit. We don't, we don't, that's a misnomer. People think, some people in Singapore think 
we're fully sponsored. We don't, we don't, we're not given bikes. You know, yeah. we get a good discount. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then we, we ride the bikes and we're, we're showcasing the bikes for them. So yeah. we get a good deal and we think they get a good deal from us because we're quite visible. Yeah. Uh, but we also have cash sponsors. We have a few sponsors. And yeah. uh, the, the great uh, cycling studio, Athlete Lab, has been a sponsor for the last Athlete seven years. Lab. Yeah, I've heard really good things about them. That's actually. an indoor cycling studio that uses yeah. more like real bikes rather than spin bikes. Yeah. Okay. So that's where you would go, like to do your FTP. Yes, it's FTP. Yeah. It's power. It's FTP best training. Sorry, what does FTP stand Functional for? Functional threshold power. Yeah, which is a test that you would do to be able to. You would do it every month or so, just to check where your where your fitness is. That's in. probably a bit too much. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Because it's a quite high intensity for an hour or so, isn't it? Uh, the real test is one hour, as fast as you can go. Yeah. But most coaches say that's silly. Yeah. So the protocol now is more you do 20 minutes yeah. and then 20 and then they take off they take 95% of that. They only take off 5%. Right. And they think that's what that's you get your FTP number. Yeah. And so this is all based on like having a power meter on the bike. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um so functional threshold pa- power is like F- yeah. yeah yeah. It's interesting because we've been uh, talking a lot um, with, with uh, actually the guys that coached. We had them on recently. I had Ben Pullum, who's a yeah. triathlete, and uh, uh, and actually talking about the running side, about how to um, like assess how you're performing. And there's um, there's a test called the MAF test, which is um, maximal aerobic um, fitness, um, and uh, or yeah, maximal aerobic fitness, and. Um, and with that, it's just like a six kilometer run at a specific heart rate. So it's done on heart rate. And then you just work out whether you, you it kind of, um, it drops from the first kilometer to the sixth kilometer in terms of pacing. So with the, uh, the FTP, it's like you're 20 minutes all out and it will just work out what the power is at that. Yeah. And, and the 95% of that is essentially what you can maintain for- For 20 minutes. But then what would it be? Oh, for, the, the, for an hour. Yeah, yeah, but so then going into race, so if your FTP is a certain number, going into a um, 150-kilometer race, like w- would you be looking at 80% of your FTP to be able to maintain for a four-hour ride or a five-hour ride? For road racing, you ignore your... You don't look at the power meter at all? There's no point. You have to, you have to con- continually go into the red, recover, red, recover, red, recover. Yeah. We've had a few triathletes join us over the years yeah. and they struggle. Because yeah. uh, they look great, just to maintain great athletes. the same they're speed fantastic the athletes, yeah. but their training for years hasn't been that. Yeah. And sometimes they'll get dropped and they'll say afterwards, I couldn't go in the red. And you have to tell them, you have to ignore it. I love my numbers. I look at them afterwards. Yeah. Time trialing is different. Uh, yeah. Time trial, you use the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a one-hour time, tra- uh, thirty-kilometer time trial. Yes, I'll look at my power meter. Yeah, but uh, for road racing, no, there's no point. Heart rate, all that stuff. You just, you just have to go. Yeah, you, mean, you, you have to be smart. You have to get in the wheels. You have to draft. You have to use tactics. But if that race is going up the road and you no, and you want to be in it, sometimes you just have to dig deep. And yeah. So we do a lot of that in our training, simulate that. You do. So you'll have someone that will just go off the front and you'll have to like, as a well, pack, be able to Well, yeah, we have, a, we, we just, we encourage attacking in our, in our, our Tuesday ride, especially on a, on a Saturday. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's very cool. So there's 25 of you in, in, in the team. How do you recruit for it? Like, how do you get the team together? Uh, it's a lot. It's, to begin with, there was just a bunch of mates, I guess, and yeah. we all got together. But there's always attrition. There's only four of us left of the original yeah. lives. It's myself, 
And that's over 10 years though, right? It's over nine, like years. nine yeah, years. It's, it's yeah, not yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. So myself, a guy called Matt Lodge, Richard Payne and Stephen Ames, we're from the original four. We all yeah. helped set the team up and we're still here. But after that, it's, uh, it's word of mouth. People come along. It's also such a transient city, Singapore, it though, is. and like people would like leave and yeah, so yeah. But we, we used to have a, we've got basically two criteria. Yeah, if you're a proven rider and you want to come and join our team, then, and we like you, you have to, we have to like you, yeah. uh, there's a good chance you'll get in. But other times when say, something new to Singapore arrives, they're given like a four-week trial period. Yeah. Not everybody, if they want to come along and if they can keep up after four weeks, will consider it. Yeah, uh, but it's not it's not an open house because we have numbers. We are sort of limited. The specialists don't want to be giving away too many bikes, and plus, not not giving away the bikes, but the discounts. Discounts, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, again, we keep it manageable when it's smaller. Yeah, yeah. But we we've yeah. had a great thing the last couple of years. We 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 were mostly expats. Yeah, and we had one or two Singaporeans over the years. But in the last two years, we've, got, we've now got five local teenagers. Yeah, that's brilliant. And we're very proud of them. And yeah. we had more locals riding with us today. So we're, we're trying to emphasize that. Yeah. Maybe if we, if we have some sort of legacy ever, it would be good if we could end up having half of the team Singaporean. Yeah. Yeah, instead yeah, of just I mean, been that, seeing us there as the as the expat team, you know. Yeah, that would that would be um, be ideal. One thing I I remember I, when I bought a road bike, and I've always been mountain biking and, and trail running, and it would go out and, and like adventure racing, and it's a team of four stuff which I'd normally do. And so you normally train with like either solo or up to four people. And I remember going out with. Um, I got a road bike and and actually I I'd actually a mate was working for Hort, um, the Hort route um, and he's like come and do a cycling with me uh, he's a guy actually um, um, that's also done Everesting a couple of times he was like, like one of the my inspirations for doing an Everest um, Mike his name is in the UK and he did it on a fixie so he did a, he did an um, an Everesting on a, on a fixie and he would have been the very first person ever to do an Everesting on a fixie probably the only one no well no but he was just lodging it on the website and someone lodged it in somewhere else in the world I think it was like somewhere I think it was in Australia had did it like and they just logged theirs just before wow. his went through but um, what, gra- then- what gradient of hill did they do it on so he did it at um, uh, Box Hill in the UK. So ha- I, know, I know of Box Hill. So it's like been... nine degree, I think. On a fixie. On a fixie, So what kind yeah. of gear did he so, But then he had like a pretty, um, a, a lower gear. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him. Mike, Mike Luckman, he's a legend. And he, uh, he also did the uh, Hort Route Alps on a fixie as well. It must have been terrible on a downhill. Just so I guess horrible. just freewheeling, I guess. Yeah, freewheeling. And, well, and no, so, no, was it a fixie or single speed? Single, sorry, not a fixie, but like a single speed. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So single speed. So you just get dropped by the groups when they're, yeah. when they're on the flat, or no, when they're or when they're going down. Yeah. And, and then uh, and then so it was really yeah, it's tough. But he did it on like proper old school single speed with Respect. like all of the old equipment on the bike as well, even down to his old wearing old gear and stuff. It was pretty yeah, pretty cool. Um, the reason I bring it up though is because um, I went out, I, like I bought, he got me to uh, sign up for the hall route. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I was like, okay, I've got to buy a bike and, uh, and start training for it. And I went riding around with a few guys down in Australia, which I know. And, uh, and I went with the Anza group here and I just found it really cliquey. And then there's nothing about the Anza group. It's just the general thing about like cycling groups. The first thing I do is like look you up and down look your bike up and down first and then it's like what kit are you wearing what socks have you got on what like and it's it's quite um you know as long as you had socks on 
Uh, I don't even. I probably was wearing like my running socks, my no, like Gigi socks. In, in, yeah. in road cycling, you know, socks is a thing. It uh, is a thing. Triathletes right. don't wear socks. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's a, a friendly ribbing. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If you're not wearing socks, and like obviously, like turning up with hairy legs and stuff. It's like I don't know. I just found it um, a, a bit um, a bit cliquey, but I don't know whether that's. Um, yeah, I, I don't know whether that is synonymous with bike racing groups or whether it's like, because it sounds like you guys at the Mavericks have got a really cool group that you've got together, but like obviously riding at a, a pretty, um, pretty extreme um, high level. Um, but yeah, what's your take on, on the, I suppose the like cliqueiness of, uh, of cycling? Because we talk, you mentioned before, like you've only got sort of five Singaporeans. I think it needs to kind of be really open to be able to get new people coming into it rather than uh, and be accessible for people I suppose well our original idea when we set up the Mavericks was that we'd be more than one racing team it was, we'd be one then it would be the next one the next one I think by definition if you want to in cycling it has to be quite small in some way you can't have big pelotons of 20, 30, 40 people out there. Yeah. We've got 20 to 25 guys, but we rarely have more than 15 or 16 out at one time yeah. just because people have family commitments, work commitments, travel. And so yeah. you can't really go much bigger than that. So that might yeah, be part okay. of it. And then if you're, if you're riding together every week, you just become close-knit. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's maybe an intention to be snobbish or cliquish. I don't know. One of my rules is when I pass a cyclist, always to say hello. I, yeah. I'll always do it. And, and even if I'm in pain, I'll try and say hello. And I, so it, we're yeah. a friendly sport. But yeah, yeah. maybe uh, maybe this clicky thing is it's maybe there, but I don't think people are being nasty. Well, I hope yeah. not anyway. Yeah, I mean, I certainly haven't experienced that. And um, and. I swear, yeah, I do the same when I'm, whenever I'm running. I'll always make a point just to like everyone I pass just to say hello, thumbs up, uh, or like, or thumbs up or a hat tip. I like it. Um, uh, but yeah, I think um, uh, it sounds like the the team you've pulled together though, a pretty uh, pretty impressive group, right? So you've you you said you've had sixty podiums over the last... no, we've had eight hundred. You sorry, you've had eight hundred podiums. Yeah, over uh, the last. Wins or podiums, yeah. Yeah, and that's across like what? So you've got like Tour de Bintan. Are they mainly Asian races? Or yes, you guys mostly, travel? Oh, no, it's mostly Asian races, yeah. yeah. yeah there's big ones uh, like the Tour of Friendship in Thailand is yeah. a five day race every year. It's uh, one of the mainstays. There's a Masters Tour of Chiang Mai. Yeah. The Cycle Sports Company, they put on lots of races now. Uh, they're a Singapore based company. They have the Tour of Phuket, they have the Tour de Capri. Yeah, I've heard of that one. They, do, they run a lot of the crits here. They run yeah. the off-road stuff, this, the Jungle Cross series. Uh, Where's that? It's at Turf City. Jungle Cross? Jungle oh. Cross. Oh, okay. It's in Turf City. It's in the pit. You know the Centaur pit? Yeah, yeah. Next, in, there's a, a ravine, a little ravine between yeah. all the rugby pitches there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've and been through it, yeah. So three years ago... There was a Spartan ago, race went through there recently. Yes, yeah. that's correct. Three yeah. years ago, they, they, built a, they, they built a basic mountain biking track. Yeah. And they've been constantly improving it. And now it's fantastic. It's a four-kilometer track. They do cross and mountain bike races in there. There you go. I didn't realize. Yeah, so, yeah, you should try it out. The next one's yeah. in the middle of November. The last one of the year is in the middle of November. How, like, what's the distance? They do a few loops of that 4 Yeah, course. it's probably... It's for the... I think they do, like, four loops. Yeah. So that's, like... 
16 k's. It takes yeah, yeah. it takes a while. It's a yeah, technical yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. lots of fun, and it's a great family day out. Great yeah. community day out. They, they have six or seven different categories, uh, yeah. and it's uh, yeah, it's a fantastic facility. Yeah, so yeah. the cycle sports are, uh, they've they've done that one. And and what um, for podiums like what back to the kind of business side? Does it do you actually is there prize money for um, for podiums or is it? gear not, or I don't know what, how it works in the cycling um. no most there's not many races in the amateur scene in Asia give out prizes you yeah. get it's for you get trophies and it's for the kudos I guess yeah. it's for the glory yeah 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 so yeah. we're just we're racing for the love of it we're amateurs everybody's got jobs yeah of we're, course we're not re- doing it for the money yeah. there's, a, there's a few races here and there they give out some prizes but uh, no not not a lot yeah. Uh, definitely not. What What's been your uh, your proudest uh, ride that you've had in and and proudest podium that you've had over the, uh, the last nine years? Well, I, probably I I I won I won the Queen stage of the Tour of Friendship in 2011, already wearing the leader's jersey, and that was my first ever win in a bike race. So I remember that. That was uh, that was pretty special. Yeah. And. The team had been fantastic. They were riding for me. This is in the 40s category. I must admit, we were masters. So we're masters racers. Yeah, yeah. We were racing some open, but mostly we were age age group. Yeah. And then the team the next day defended it. And the masters is all over 40s? No, no. The no. masters is all... Masters is... Uh, the definition of masters racing used to be plus 35. Okay. But each different race will have different categories. Yeah. Sometimes it's 35 to 45. Then I'm the super masters, which is 45 to 55. So right. And each race does it differently. Some are 40s, some are 50s, some are 30s. So, but we get big pelotons, and the racing is competitive. There's great other clubs in Singapore. There's great clubs from Hong Kong, in Thailand, in Indonesia, Malaysia. Yeah. So it's all good racing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that was yeah, that was my fa- that was uh, that's my uh, that's the one that stands out because I uh, it was my first ever winning a bike race so it was, it, was, it was a thrill yeah yeah that's amazing and so not not your first ever win of a tour but first actually win of an actual like leg within a within a tour oh no it was my first win of everything yeah oh, I won really? I, I I moved into the yellow jersey or it was a red jersey the day before by finishing second on a stage that's from a, normally the like baton rouge is like the red jersey uh, is normally the last one so they had five the, they had five different categories so they had five age categories they had five different jerseys got you so, yeah, but yeah. we raced in, in individual pelotons yeah so I, I, I moved into that jersey and then winning the next day was the first time I won a bike race. And that meant, and there was only one stage to go because I was in the GC lead and I won that the next day with the team support. They were fantastic. There was nine of them, I think. And we just, real, everybody was attacking and they just reeled everything in. I got a cushy ride that day. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It was, uh, you were just good. head on the, like following a wheel so, the whole way. So I like to climb. I like to climb. So I, they... I'm sometimes the team leader for the climbing races, but on the flat races, I'm a domestic. I'm the one helping the other guys because I, yeah. I don't really have the power for the flat. Yeah. I, I like a hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence the Everest thing. Yeah, <laughs> so that actually segues really nicely onto, obviously I talked about at the beginning how I first came across you. and um, You've done a few now, right? I've done three. You've yeah. done three, all in Singapore. All in Singapore, all yeah. on small hills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, it was interesting because I, I reached out to you and I was like, look, I'd love to get you on as like, uh, to talk about the cycling community in Singapore and Asia. And, um, and then we're, you were traveling a lot throughout the summer and uh, you were in the Alps during, uh, throughout yeah. the summer, yeah. No, I was in Mallorca as well, That's which right. I had never been to Mallorca. 
and it's cycling paradise. I mean, I I used to, as a kid, go to Poyenza on holiday every year for about 10 years, and the mountains through Mallorca and the north side are just stunning, but I've heard unbelievable things about the cycling there. I I go to Lake Annecy every year and in France, in yeah. near the Swiss border, in the Alps. And I've always told people it's the best cycling place in the world. Yeah. And I went to this year. I went to Mallorca for a week before I went to Annecy, and it might rival it. It yeah. was just it's just stunning. The roads are perfect. The infrastructure is great. Yeah. Climbs everywhere. Friendly people. Cyclists everywhere. And the yeah. climbs aren't super steep. They're yeah. all maybe six to seven percent rather than the. 10 plus things you do in the Alps and the yeah. Pyrenees yeah. and the, the weather, everything, yeah. the, the, the post-cycling, and the, food the food and everything. Yeah. yeah. And swimming in the beaches. It's just fantastic. I would recommend if anybody has a week and they want to go somewhere cycling, I would either go to Lake Annecy or in France or Mallorca. Yeah. Where we'll did you, back. where did you stay in Mallorca? Where did uh, you? Palenza. Base? Yeah. It was in Poyenza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friends yeah. of ours have a, have a house there. Water Poyenza. Yeah. It's beautiful. Cyclists, there. the cyclist yeah. triathletes, Pete Hope and Janine, and they, they, we, we rented out their house and it was a, it was a great base. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got to be, um, I'd love to go back there. And uh, you obviously take your bike back. I'm sure anyone going will be able to hire a bike. Oh, yes. My, we rented a bike for my wife. I just mm. took mine. I was, on, I was away for five weeks, so I had the bike. She doesn't ride as much as me now, so we just rent bikes for her. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, a lot yeah. of hassle traveling with lots of bikes. Yeah. In hire cars and airplanes and yeah. cost and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I love my, I love my S-Works Tarmac so much that I just, love to have it it's glued to you yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I'm still on a rim brake bike and it's, it's moving all to disc but I love and disc is better for descending and in the rain and stuff like that but I love yeah. the rim brake tarmac it's just a it's just a super bike yeah yeah and it can fix the you can twiddle with the brakes yourself it's a lot more difficult to twiddle with disc brakes yourself yeah if you have slight issues you have to take it to mechanic yeah sure Sure. So yeah, we we spoke before, and you were like, "Oh, look, I'm traveling for a few weeks," um, and then uh, and I, I was like, "Had you lined up to come back on?" And then I was just looking through Strava one day, and I'm like, "He's only gonna done like another Everest, but just completely solo." Um, and so uh, yeah, that was just I like saw that I was just blown away because it's a everything is tough. But then doing it without any support at all and anyone knowing you're doing it, so. Yeah, well, the first one I did, and I, I had, I was basically had somebody with me the whole time. Yeah. Nobody else did the whole thing, but the guys from the Mavs all came along and helped me, which was fantastic. Had company. The second one I did, I did it with my very good friend Bastian Doling, who's one of the top cyclists in the region. He's a, and a great guy, uh, yeah. one of my best friends. And we had fun. We just rode every single. Where did you do that? We one? did that on Rifle Range Road. Ah, oh, that's right. We did it yeah. on. Uh, it was a strange hill to pick, but yeah, it's strange. Well, there, yeah, but I did a lot of research to try and find where I was going to do the second one. When yeah. you do an Everest, you want to have. You don't want it to be too steep. You don't want it to be too shallow because it will yeah. take too long. So I've, I've discovered that the first the hill there, the first kilometer of Rifle Range Road is a more or less continuous hill. It's yeah. about one kilometer. It's about four and a half percent. Yeah. So it was, and it had a super fast descent, not technical at all, really. Straight as well. But there's an yeah. S bend. But after yeah. that, after that, it was it was down, and uh, yeah. so it just seemed like it was a good number, and yeah. it was quite easy is the wrong word, but it wasn't taxing because yeah. there's no steep bits at yeah. all. Yeah. There's other places. Uh, 
like Bukit Batok, a friend of mine did an Everest on Bukit Batok. Yeah, that's eleven percent. It's yeah. just nuts. I did fifty laps with them, and my legs were killing me. And yeah, it took him thirty hours or so to do it. Yeah, because it was just super steep. Yeah. So uh, we yeah did rifle range and and just for like I think people know what Everesting is, but essentially you go you do up and down a hill to the um, to the accumulative elevation of Everest, which is eight thousand eight hundred and forty eight meters. Correct. Um, on one ride without sleeping yeah the no sleep thing is quite interesting because you're not even allowed to have like five minute power nap right like well, but the, nobody would know no one would know but i found i've done three of them i don't get tired i yeah. don't get uh, i get i get tired but i don't get sleepy tired i get physically yeah but you're pretty wired taxed. by, uh, I'm wi- by the yes, you're yeah, wired. Yeah. yeah 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 so yeah. uh yeah it's a, it's a strange thing to do in everest but it's a challenge yeah. You like to have a challenge yeah and so the second one I did it with my friend we, we rode past him we did every single ascent and descent together did you really the, the whole pace. thing yeah so I had somebody with me and we had some friends came out and cheered us my son came out his family came out and it was it was, it was good yeah. but for the third one when you, when you asked me to come on I was thinking oh, I'm not really an endurance athlete I need to because I'd listened to some of your previous guests like Axe Rawlinson he's, he's He's a legend. He's a polar explorer and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I'm just a cyclist that likes to go up and down a hill all day. (laughs) So I said, I'll need to do something a bit more challenging. So for the third one, I didn't tell anybody except for my wife. I said, I'm just going to do it my own. I had no support. Which, uh, did you do yours with no support? Did you have no, friends? No, I had, uh, so I had like a few hours. Actually, when I did it, I had... um, um, a guy called Lyndon um, who's also done an Everesting before on Faber as well but he turned up in the middle of the night at, at like I think at like from about 1am to or like 2am to for four hours in the middle of the night Fantastic. just randomly turned up and, uh, and supported me because he was the only one that uh, um, Lyndon Daniels I think his name is yeah, oh, yeah. Um, really nice guy but, um, but other than that I had people like came and, um, and paced me a little bit but yeah um, yeah yeah, that, helped. that really helped. If anybody's going to do an Everest, do it with people. Yeah. Trust me. The third one on my own was, uh, oh, it was mentally, mentally grueling. It really was mentally grueling. I uh, didn't enjoy it. I, I sort of enjoyed it. I knew I could do it. Yeah. Because they've done it twice before. But and, I, I and was you went thinking, back to why Faber, am I doing right? this? But you did, went, a, you did a shorter route at Mount Well, well okay. The reason I did that again was... Uh, for Everesting, there's more kudos if you do a hill that hasn't been done before. Yeah. So I only, and all the other good hills, when I say good hills, I think hills that are feasible, like uh, Pepe's Road Hill, Telok Blanga Park off Henderson Road. Yeah. They, they've been done before, both by this guy, Daryl Chan. And yeah. I wanted one, I, I wanted one that, that hadn't been done. And again, I looked for a good parkour. I mean, the, the bottom half of Faber, is about five percent yeah. and the descent is it's not technical not too yeah. technical and so i just found it was a, it worked out for the numbers yeah. and uh, but it was what it was it was hard and when you're doing no one knows you're doing it mm. it's so easy to go do you know what i'm just gonna go back to my nice cool bed and, and have a relax stick my feet up and crack open a beer i thought about it i did think about did it a few times yeah at, especially at when point? it rained it rained and the roads uh, were slippy. Oh, and it's a fucking nightmare when it rains. Yeah, yeah, because you, you you start to 
you start to lose your concentration on the yeah. descents. The ascents are, are going up isn't the problem. I, yeah. I've struggled in all three of my my Everest. It's the, the descending is more difficult. I find yeah. just because you lose concentration, you can't yeah. see the line anymore. Yeah. You're drifting off that line, and then when it's wet, it just makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and then you have um, Mount Faber. Um, you have like the tourist buses going up and down all the time. Well, that was like, another reason for doing the half Faber. You, you don't, they don't go that point. Yeah. yeah. So you just went to. The, they're mostly you get them coming down, but not going up. You don't have to deal with them at the top. So yeah. I just turned at the car park. Yeah. And, uh, How long did it take you? This last one, oh, 21 hours, I think. Yeah. That's the total time. So the ride time was maybe a bit less than that, maybe 18 and a half. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, yeah, read, yeah. Read, read about it on Flatspoke Media. Yeah, okay. Flatspokemedia.com. Flatspoke you'll you're, find all my race reports and, and other bits of cycling-related writing on there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great challenge, though. And, um, and I, I can only imagine doing it solo about how mentally challenging that that would have been that through the night bit that before dawn because what time did you start well here's the thing for the for the first two it was midnight or just after midnight but yeah. for the third one i actually started at daybreak i decided i wanted to again do it differently do something different yeah, yeah. so i didn't have to ride through the night i finished it what so i finished it oh yeah it was still three o'clock in the morning i think something like that yeah, yeah. uh so you started at 7am 7, 7 to 3am. It might even have been earlier than 7am. I can't remember yeah. right now. Yeah, it was dark. Maybe it was about 7. Yeah. And so... I'd so you avoided those witching hours. Um. Yeah, well, well, when I did the first two Everest, the, the, the first six hours weren't difficult. It was the yeah. set, it's when it got dark again the second time. Yeah. So this time I think I just wanted it dark once. Yeah. So Why it, did you do it at, start at midnight, the previous ones? What was the thinking behind that? I... Uh, I don't know. Let me think. Thinking was, it was like, to finish. You finish. It'll maybe take twenty four hours. So yeah. I'll finish before midnight the next night, and then I'll be able to get to sleep. Got you. Sleep. Yeah, that, that makes it. sense. Yeah, and yeah. you're also the heat. We're in Singapore. We're on the equator. Yeah. So if you do most of your ride at night in the dark, that makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just the heat. Yeah. Yeah. I think I when I did it, I started at around four p.m. Oh, uh, three or four p.m. And it was mainly because, like, I had a uh, it was a charity thing, and I had a half charity day to use, so I just used the afternoon. But I went out and started, and it was pissing it down for three or four hours. And it's, yeah. on favour, it's a nightmare, yes. like, and it just slows you down because you can't hammer it down the hills, yep. and you need to just be a lot more, a lot more careful. Um, I'm actually planning to do another charity Everest thing, but this time I'm foot up Bukatima. I'm planning to do it in December. The how long will that take? I think around. 36 hours I think wow. the challenge with doing it on foot is that you obviously you have a rest on the downhills when you're on a bike but on foot there's no rest at all really yes um, so it'll be interesting I'm like doing it as a like a, a plan to do it as a charity um, a charity event in how December. many people have done those uh, so Jerry Chua we've had on the podcast has done an Everesting in a HDB I forget which one she did but with everything on foot, you are actually allowed to come down um, using a lift or other. You don't have no! to. Yeah. <laughs> You're able to, right? So you don't, you don't have to do the down, the descent um, by human power. Um, but on Bukit Timah Hill, you have no choice. No choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you even can't, if, you can't take a bike on there and it's too steep anyway. Even if you did, someone would have to carry the bike back up with you to yeah, get you back yeah, there. So, yeah. yeah so yes, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but it's, so it's, I'm looking to do it on the backside of Booker Tahima Hill down to, um, 
Yeah, so it, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Like uh, I'm going to start doing some night training on it and see if it is actually feasible. Because that was the one thing that I learned from reading your blog is that I I basically decided a month before the date that I was going to do everything. I was like, and it was le- it was a charity thing, but also leading up to doing the Hort route in August. So this was uh, February time, I think it was February or April. And so I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do it. But then I just trained on it every day, and I did up to 70 laps, and it's like 100. And, I think I did 113 when I did it, but um, or 114. But um, yeah, just training on the exact route is so good for that mental side of it. And and I suppose the last everything you didn't do that, right? No, I did. You did. I did. I went. I I did all three Everest. I did a, a few beforehand or more than a few to make sure that i that i could do it that i thought it was feasible so i did i went i knocked out i think 50 one day just before i did it i went and did 50 of the half favors i did about 25 of the rifle range the real favor i had done a 51 a few years previously with a friend of mine and at the time that seemed nuts why would you do 50 favors 51 favors and then all of a sudden i was doing 111 so is that yeah, it makes it definitely. If anybody's going to do one, I would, I'd that practice on the practice on the course. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I'm mean, interested how you look at. Um, you're obviously extremely fit, but how do you think about nutrition? How do you think about? You mentioned that you do some strength and conditioning and yoga stuff as well. How do you keep out of injury? And uh, and then yeah, what do you how what for for cycling? What do you do for both nutrition on? a weekly basis but then also during your training sessions what's your philosophy um i'm not uh, i'm not big into the nutrition i, I obviously i have to eat but i i don't <laughs> i don't take i don't take lots of the sport specific uh stuff i the, the known's hydration salts i'll use some of them when i'm racing not mm. very often when i'm training and i take some of those shot blocks i hate gels i think gels are just, they're messy you don't yeah. they're sticky and I hate the caffeine ones. I, I, the caffeine doesn't agree with me. And so I, I, I like to eat cakes and biscuits and uh, Indian food. When I did my Everest, I was fueled. All of them, I, I would stop at the bottom and have some Indian food. Uh, rice, curry, uh, bre- fried bread, lots of sweet Indian tea. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the nutrition's important. You have to eat. You don't want to bonk. But you don't need to have... Well, I'm, in my opinion, you don't need to have the the sport specific stuff. Yeah. As long as you're getting the calories in, that's the that's the main thing. Yeah. yeah. In racing, I think you definitely need more calories because you're just racing and it's more intense. Yeah. But in training, like today, we did 155 k's, and I had two two tubes of shot blocks, and that's it, and a can of coke halfway through. Yeah. And lots of water, but that was uh, in fact not that much water. I uh, I've trained myself to to stop drinking so much water as well. Interesting. I got just I, because you have to it, it, you have to like fill your water up all the time. A lot you? of the time in races, uh, especially in Southeast Asia, sometimes the water trucks, the water bikes disappear. Yeah. Especially if you're in a breakaway, you can go for an hour, an hour and a half without any water, and yeah. then you just got to keep going, or you bonk. Yeah. But I got a sweat test done a few years ago. I used to sweat a lot. Uh, I still do. And it turns out my sweat has hardly any electrolytes in it. Hardly, okay. I'm hardly losing any salt. That's good. So then I don't need to drink as much. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. When I get a cramp, it's usually uh, from muscular fatigue yeah. rather than an electrolyte imbalance. Yeah, yeah. So that helped me. So I drink a lot less than I used to, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it just makes a, 
I, I, this was trial and error. I've been doing this for 15 years now, and yeah. you, you just you learn. You're learning all the time. Yeah, you're getting little. Some people have to drink three bottles. Some of our guys had three bottles today. Two on the bike, one in their back pocket. Yeah. One guy, Ben Arnett, had one bottle. Yeah. Yeah, and he, that would have done him. We actually had a stop. We weren't going to have a stop, but we did have a stop. And yeah. So everybody's different. You yeah. have to. It's just trial and error. Like most people, I'm not saying don't take the scientific stuff because uh, it's there for a reason but it's a lot of the drinks are just it's just sugary drinks yeah. and so like Coke I learned that from the Chris McCormack the very famous uh, triathlete he said in his book and when I've been I've met him a few times he says Coke that's the best sports drink and I, I, I think yeah. it works for me yeah it is good it also um is a point of no return once you start drinking it. It's like you've got to maintain the. the I, I, certainly for me, I find if as soon as I start drinking Coke, that's it. I like I'm on Coke for the rest of the race or the rest the, of the. The second Everest, I did. Yeah, I drank it every break. But yeah. the third Everest, I, I only I only drank it once, and then I, I got away with it. I, yeah, I was having my Tetarekta, which is local Singaporean tea, and it's very yeah. strong yeah. caffeine. So maybe I was getting my caffeine boost from yeah, that, yeah. but. Uh, how do you feel about nutrition on a day-to-day basis, like dinner and like, like yeah, I, I, lunch, dinner, breakfast? I, yeah, I eat a, a fairly balanced diet. I, uh, I I try not to eat meat until the evening, uh, yeah. meat or fish, and uh, animal protein. Maybe four, four or five times a week we'll have for dinner a lot of fish, a bit of uh, and and any meat we do eat we get organic or free range. Yeah. But I, I I stick to I eat a lot of bread. I know people say oh I don't eat bread, but I, I it works for me. And for my lunch, this is, might sound strange, but on most days I have some sort of South Indian vegetarian food for lunch. Most yeah, days, yeah, yeah. it yeah. just it works for me. So I, I'm not yeah. following the classic sports uh, diet. But yeah. I, I eat a lot of fruit, a lot of vegetables, yeah. a lot of carbohydrates. Yeah. Everything in moderation. I eat chocolate every day. I have a I have an afternoon snack at five o'clock. I have a cup of tea and a bit of cake or a biscuit and yeah. a couple of squares of lint dark chocolate after dinner every night. So yeah. You can eat in balance, just balance. Yeah. I stopped uh, eating, I, stopped, I, I cut <coughs> down my rice and noodles a few years ago. Yeah. Instead of having two bowls, I maybe have one bowl or something like that. And I've helped, that helps with the, the weight. Yeah. Keep yeah. the weight down. Yeah, and as you say, you went from 90 kilos to you say you're, you're at 70 now. I'm at 70 and that's yeah. kind of my hovering. But I've actually got a, 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 a sort of funny story about the weight thing. I... I Oh, it's been 10 years ago, I got, uh, I got, I managed to pick up dysentery here in Singapore, in Singapore, yeah. in Singapore. and for a month, they didn't know what it was. I was functioning. I, I, I wasn't throwing up. I, did, I just had, I had pains, I had winds, and they didn't know what it was, and they kept doing the tests, and then they retested, and eventually they said, oh, and they called me up, said, you've got to come straight in, you've got uh, Shigella dysentery. Two different types, imobic dysentery, which is the worst one. I had one called Shigella. And then, and then it, it was daily injections for a week, big injections in my backside. And I lost five kilos in that month. And uh, I never really put it back on. I, I went, my, my base weight by that stage was 76, 75, 77. And now the base weight is 70. Even when I'm fat, you know, in very commas, yeah. I get up to 72, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's when I started performing better yeah in in endurance sports when i lost that i wasn't fat before but i i had a at that stage but it it helped me and it was just luck bad luck i didn't want to to, <laughs> to have this dysentery for a for a month it wasn't fun but uh 
Yeah, that's how I managed to shed a bit of weight. Yeah, that's interesting. Because in cycling, it's all about power to weight, right? Yes. Um, yeah, 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 for hill for, for for hill climbing, yeah, for hill yeah, yeah, climbing yeah. yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously, if you're doing time trials, it's slightly slightly different. But um, um, or if you're doing like Ironman or or anything where it's just like a consistent speed. But um, yeah, the you lose weight, you lose body fat, you're going to perform uh, better. But you have to watch; you don't lose too much weight. I, uh, I'm self coached, I guess you could say. I, I, I uh, again. Through trial and error over the years and racing and riding, I've, I, I think I know what my body needs. Yeah. But a few years ago, I, I got a coach. And for six months, I had a coach. And I, it didn't work out. I, I ended up losing. I was down at 67 kilos, which you think is great. I've lost it. Oh, I can climb even better. But I was yeah. tired all the time. Yeah. And eventually, I stopped. I went back to just training myself. I put a bit of the weight back on. So, yeah, you've got to, if you're losing weight, you've got to do it slowly yeah. and not too much. Yeah, yeah. everybody again you've got to find your sweet spot for everybody everybody's different yeah. and for me I wanted to do climbing so I needed to lose I needed to keep at a certain level yeah. but for time trying I, I guess I could I'm, I'm okay at time trialing but if I put a few more kilos on I would probably be better yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't sprint for toffee because I'm 70 kgs and I'm 5 foot 10 so I can't sprint yeah, yeah I've yeah. never I've hardly ever hit a thousand watts yeah. ever even for one second kind of yeah. thing I'm more of a I'm more of a, yeah, endurance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. endurance trainer. And on that, because um, you turned 50 a couple of years ago, and I, I've been following you on Strava for a while, but I noticed you did, uh, to, was it to mark your 50th birthday? You, I seem to remember you doing something like I doing did 500. I did 50 hills. No, it was 50 hills. I thought it was like 500 kilometers a week for your, or like, no. you had this consistent block where you were just like, Smashing well, last November, last November for the month of November. Oh, that's right. That's which, what it is, was. Uh, yeah. which is a, a charity that raises uh, men's health issues. Yeah. I decided to ride 100 kilometers for the, all 30 days of the month. That's right. So I rode 3,000 kilometers in the month. And uh, that was hard. It was uh, a lot harder than I thought it would have been. I was tired by midway through the month. And you consistently, it was 100 kilometers no. every day. Well, no, how did no. you, so but, I, or it was just... I yeah. just made sure I was always over. The first day, I think I did extra. The first few days, I was I had a bank. Because yeah. I thought maybe I'd need a day off one day. I didn't have a day off. But I think my, one day I only did 30 or something like that. So it was just a... Yeah. Uh, building it up and it's seven days a week so like yeah 30 days in in, in 30 the month days. and 100 kilometers a day on average over yeah. that period and of i time. raised uh, 30 days three thousand dollars for charity for the november charity as well as the silly big handlebar mustache on my top lip yeah and yeah I, I, again it was a challenge i like to do it I, I also some people might be thinking oh where do you get the time to do that i i, I work part-time i'm very lucky my wife as mentioned before she has this Big job, and we decided years ago that I, I would work part-time so that I would be there. She travels throughout yeah. the world, so I would be home to yeah. be, uh, help bring our son up. Yeah. So one of the parents would How be How old is your son now? He's 19. Okay. Just yeah. dropped him off at university. He just started university. Whereabouts? University of Sussex in Brighton. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with Brighton growing up. Good choice. Yeah. Good choice. So he's, uh, he's just done that. So uh, maybe I should be getting a full-time job now that he's gone, but I... Uh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, and obviously you're a journalist by uh, by trade, and you still um, yeah you still write for um, for a few papers and stuff as well. Like what? No, it's mostly just sport related now. Yeah, yeah. I've got it. I guess I, I I write for the events companies here. Yeah, and uh, 
I've got a few other clients I do some editing for. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not, as I say, I'm not working full time, but I, I'm, I love my writing. Yeah. Um, I've got a book germinating in my head. Yeah. It's been there for years. It's, it's, it's not there yet, but one yeah. of these days, hopefully it will come. So, yeah, yeah that, that's very cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, it gives you time to be able to then do some of these. And so what was the, you did 50 hills for your 50th? Did yes, you? I ended up doing 74. Uh, I found Is that in, but where? In Singapore, yeah. Like every little slope counted as a hill. Right. But uh, yeah, I, yeah, there, there are a lot of little hills in Singapore. Yeah, Most yeah. of them are actually on the book, off Bukit Timur Road. I think yeah. I did 34 before even leaving Bukit Timur Road on both sides of Bukit Timur Road. Yeah, yeah. There are, so yeah. I so just, it was in one ride you you did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. How how long was the ride? How much elevation did you get in? Uh, oh, about four thousand meters, I think. Really? Uh, yeah. like, I think it's roughly about that. And it was it wasn't that long. It was yeah. It was seven or eight hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. That's pretty cool. It's um yeah. And I tried you, not and no hill twice. It was all you could do both sides of a hill, but you could yeah. I, I I could do whatever I want. It was my rules. I was <laughs> making it up. But uh, I, yeah. Uh, I just decided to, yeah, just to do something different. Yeah, very cool. To mark my 50th, yeah. Uh, well, and what do you think about, like, the, the cycling scene at the moment then? I mean, both from, like, an amateur and, and professional. Like, where is that? What's the state of the, uh, of the cycling, um, I suppose? But, yeah, both, in, in, like, internationally and, as, yeah, well, how the, you see the pro, the pro game is... Uh, Pro games, I, I love, I, I'm engrossed in it. I love watching yeah. it on, well, I used to love watching it on Eurosport. We don't get that anymore. So it's, it's all on Steep Hill. Yeah. It's this great Steep Hill and Tiz. These are these two great websites where you can get all the live cycling yeah. all over the world. I love following that game. I think it's a great sport. Yeah. I think it's one of the cleanest sports in the world. I genuinely think that. It had a huge doping problem, but now it's one of the cleanest sports. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's a great role model for, for kids to get into yeah uh, you, do think, you do think the sport's been cleaned up I think it's been I think it's been cleaned up There's, there'll be some doping but every sport has doping yeah I think some of the big the big sports it's just my opinion but I think like your rugby your football I think they're I think they've got bigger problems yeah. than the, the classic endurance sports but they get away with it yeah they're, they're not there's not much of a spotlight on them and yeah like in the US you had like baseball had like a massive load of uh, load of doping yeah in. baseball the, the American football do you think it happens in the amateur world it does uh, it, it does because occasionally I, stories pop up about it yeah I mean all you need to do is like uh, well, um, the um, Icarus the I don't know if you have you've yes, ever seen the documentary movie. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that was obviously within amateur, like within the Holt route. He was, he was, he, yes. he was. Uh, he was trying to dope himself. Yeah. Before yeah. the movie, he was. I guess he was sort of being upfront about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, that's what the whole movie was supposed to be based around. Yeah. Before they, uh, the uh, yeah, I, I definitely think there is some doping going around, and maybe in Australia, Europe, America. I, I don't think there's much of it going on in yeah. Singapore and Asia. I hope yeah. not. Yeah. Although we we used to, we had a few races affected. Guys, Europeans used to come out. And there was one yeah. big Luxembourg guy, a yeah. former Luxembourg national cyclocross champion. He kept coming to the Tour of Friendship. And he beat us a couple of times. And it turns out he'd had doping history in the past. Yeah. And then the year after, he, he beat us, put me into second place one year. He, he doped again. He got caught again in, in, yeah. in Belgium. So he was banned. And now he doesn't come out. So, yeah. But I think locally, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping yeah. that there, there's, there's not. I, I don't think so. There, there aren't people that... 
seemed to be way, way better than everybody else. There's yeah. not some guy going out there and winning every race. Yeah. So around the region. So I, I think we, I think it's pretty clean. It's pretty friendly. These races we go to, they're such friendly affairs. Yeah. Everybody and it's family based. Everyone takes their family and, and not so much the cycling there. races. They no. do for the triathlons. Yes, the yeah. cycling races. No, because they're three, four, five day races, and maybe it's the case of the guys and the girls. Yeah. Have lots of women cyclists. Go, maybe they're having a break. Yeah. You sometimes take your family, but it's not quite so much. The triathlons are one day races, so it's yeah. easier. Take so your you family. Have a holiday they're based it. in resorts. Yeah. And they're fantastic. Yeah, 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 cool. And um, so, yeah, it'd be good to wrap up with a few sort of quick fire questions. Say quick fire, we can uh, we can amble on. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Like, what makes you uh, emotional? You seem like quite steely. You're like <laughs> a, a like a, a Scottish, like strong willed. But is there anything that like really does sort no, of bring a tear to the glass eye? Yeah, my family, my my son, my son was a my son. Was I'm saying was because he just started university. But he was a great athlete growing up. Uh, he wasn't a great athlete when he was really young, and then all of a sudden he blossomed into yeah. a great athlete. He was a champion middle distance runner, yeah. 800, 1500 cross country, and then I used to love watching him go to the just running and doing well at events. Then he took up cycling properly, and he was 16, and he became very good yeah. uh, at that for a few years. Now he's hung the bike up again, but it. One a very emotional moment, and it was I was with my son's name's Jack, and we were racing in a uh, a race called the Desaru One One Three over in mm. Malaysia, and it was a 113 kilometer race or mm. there or thereabouts, mm. and we had age groups. He was in the under 23s, I was in the over 45s. There was an open race and a masters, and we all raced in one big peloton, yeah. and with six k's to go, I attacked and I told Jack I was going to do this, and he jumped across with me, and we got away. And we, we looked back and we were gaining and we were gaining. And I was thinking, I'm going, I, I, I was thinking, I'm going to win a race with my son. I'm going to win my category. He's going to win his category. And with 200 meters to go, we got caught. And oh. I was so disappointed. The emotions, I had gone through the roller coaster of the emotions in one. I was so proud that my little boy, he was only 17 at the time. And he's a big, big lad, but it was such a great moment. And then we got thwarted. We got caught with 200 to go. By uh, the peloton? Or? Yeah, by the yeah, peloton. We yeah. didn't know where the finish line was. We didn't know. It. Yeah. And, uh, and it was so close. It was so close. So, yeah, he, that makes me cool. emotional. My, my wife, obviously, uh, seeing my son being born was emotional. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I've actually, one of my life goals is to race with my son. He's not really, we I haven't even taught him to ride yet, which is terrible. He's five and he's not, uh, I need to sort that out. Wait, no, you need to wait. Wait. Uh, as I said, I was when my son was seven, he couldn't even catch a ball, yeah. and I was slightly disappointed because I love my sport. I've always yeah. been a sporty kid, a person, yeah. but I just said I just had to let it go. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he he came to it. He could yeah. catch a ball. He became good at football, and then he could run. And so let them don't push Easy them into, into it. it. Yeah. yeah I, I actually I got him to. I I just ran a trail marathon race in Singapore today, and I got um, uh, my son met me like. 100 meters before the finish line and we ran over the finish line with hand in hand with the dog as well it's like quite a nice little uh, like nice little moment but um but yeah i think that's really cool to be able to like race with your son that's amazing um are there any books or uh, or any like other podcasts or anything that you find like um well my like inspiration for you well yeah 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 you gave me a few pointers about what questions you were going to ask me and you asked me about uh, an inspirational book and it's actually it's not actually a cycling book uh, or a triathlon book or anything like that it's actually the most inspirational book i read recently was uh, 
I'm going to double check the title. Excuse yeah. me. It's about Everest, but it's not yeah. about cycling Everest. It's the Great War it, Mallory. It's called the Great War Mallory. And uh, where is it? I took some notes. The, where is it? So the, can't find it. Yeah, Into Thin Air is one of the big ones. Yeah, I've read that. Everest. But the point of this book, but the book that, where is it? Okay, I, I, I can't find it. Yeah, we'll, it's, we'll put it's it in the it's show Mallory, notes. It's Mallory, the Great War. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Mallory was... And the, the conquest of Everest. The, the conquest of Everest. Yeah. So he, was a, he, he died. In theory, was the first person to summit Everest, yeah. right? But, well, I mean, they don't know for sure. Obviously, they, they retrieved his dead body just recently. Actually, yes. There's a really great documentary about them retrieving his body. But this book, uh, it got me uh, fascinated by Mount Everest mm. and, and mountaineering. I've done a bit of scrambling in Scotland, the, the great hills there. Uh, but I, I then read about 10 books on Everest. I have no intention of climbing Mount Everest. I think it's a madness. I think it's a yeah. death wish. Yeah. But I, I, I want to go to base camp. And I, I love the whole thing about Everest. And I learned so much. And so these are endurance athletes as well, yeah. but in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that is, that's a book I would recommend to anybody that loves the outdoors. Yeah, it's yeah, I'll check it out. And um, yeah, obviously we had Grant, Grant Rawlinson on the podcast as well. And he's, uh, he's been up Everest a couple of times. Yeah. He's a uh, um, bit of a legend as well. Um, this one's quite a tough one, but like the best kit for under 100 bucks. Like when it comes to bikes, there's not much under 100 no, bucks. No, there is, there is. Yeah? I, I brought something with me. I'm yeah. going to show you, okay? I'll, I'll get it for my bike. I yeah. This is a crazy little thing okay you it's, pulled out your bag it's, like a it's a it's like a zip tie right it's a bike lock now how it works is you get a little two little prongs I'll yeah show you. i can see yeah, yeah, stick, yeah stick them in there yeah yeah it's just uh, it's a zip tie it's a zip lock. tie but it's reinforced. It's reinforced steel. So you can't cut through it. Oh, no, you this. could cut through it. But it's, it's good for five, ten minutes. Five minutes, you're nipping yeah, into it. You're yeah, nipping yeah. in a shop. You're at the coffee shop, and you can't park your bike right in front of the coffee shop. You've got to what? park it 100 metres away. Yeah. I bought it in Evan Cycles in Glasgow, yeah. uh, so yeah. and it cost like £20. Pounds, yeah, yeah. And it just fits on a railing and your top tube. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So... What's it? What, what's a brand called? Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the. I'll put no. Don't worry. I'll put it in the show notes after. But yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and actually, living in Singapore, you're normally pretty you're pretty safe with your. Uh, yeah. You're not going to get your bike stolen generally, are you? But at the same time, when your bike's worth fifteen thousand dollars, <laughs> there's probably a better chance that. Well, I, I bought this this summer and I use it all the time. I keep it in my back pocket and I use it. And it, so it's a cheap piece of cycling kit that, that's uh, really good yeah, like yeah cool and I suppose just lastly then if you've got any advice to people because you've done quite a few challenges over the years any advice to people that are like trying to come up with a challenge for themselves to do like how to go about it how to um, yeah how to train for it any sort of uh, any, any last advice for, for those people well, among try us and, try and do if you want to do a challenge maybe try and pick something that uh, hasn't been done. Now, Axe said that yeah. in your show, and it made me thinking, actually, why you picked Faber, because you knew it had been done. I actually wanted to ask you that question. Yeah, it, well, it's just, the, it was the one that I knew that, 
Is Singapore yeah. an iconic climb? There's a, yeah, it's an iconic climb, and there just wasn't really many other. I didn't know what other ones we there, there could aren't do. many. That's yeah. the problem. Recepts that. And I'd already me, decided to many. do it, and then I've already I decided to do favorite, and then when I like reset, I was like, oh wait, oh wait, so it has actually been done a couple of times before. But um, but yeah, you're like doing like he talks about like a bold, unique goal. Yeah, I mean, like I'm not in his league, but but his words actually resonated with me because I, yeah, I think do something that's slightly different. Maybe, yeah. maybe, if it's, maybe it has been done before, but do something different. One of the best things I did, and it was actually another endurance thing, I, I rode with 14 other guys from the Thai border to Singapore in 43 hours. It's 800 kilometers in 43 hours. It was called yeah. the Trans-Malaysia Express. It was, we raised loads and thousands and thousands of money for a, 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 a cataracts charity that people, doctors went out and yeah. fixed cataracts. And that was something completely different. Riding, you had to ride as a team, and it was hard. It, was, it actually gave me one of my darkest moments, actually, when I think about it. We stopped for a three-hour sleep, and that was a mistake. I woke up, and I didn't want to be there. Yeah. We had done 450 kilometers, 350 to go. Yeah. You couldn't just go home, because you're halfway down the east coast of Malaysia. Yeah. But that was great. It was something different. So always look for something different. Pick a different country. I did the Mongolia Bike Challenge. I'd recommend that to anybody. This year, I went to Oman. It's mountain biking. Mountain biking, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mountain biking. And it, with the Oman one was the Hort route, Hort route, first time in Oman, right? Yes, and that was fantastic. It was only three days, but it was. I got to see another culture. Yeah. The Omani people, the the food, it was fantastic. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. So try and do something, something different from your normal life if you're yeah. going to pick a challenge. But if you want to just go and do something where you, where you live or you can't travel, maybe you don't have the means to travel, then just pick something locally. But try and do something different, something that you think will be interesting. Yeah. Uh, something you love. You, you've got to do these things for the love. Don't yeah. go out and make sure it's not a chore. Yeah. Make sure you're going to get some sort of perverse kick from it. Because yeah. a lot of my non-cycling friends and non-endurance friends around the world think I'm mad. It's like, yeah. so, so you do something different. Yeah. Like in April this year, I did something different. Instead of racing, I missed a couple of races. I, I did a thing called the Rickshaw Challenge. Me and three of my best friends from other parts of the world, we, we, we entered a rally. Tuk-tuks, motorized tuk-tuks up yeah. the west coast of India for six days. It was something oh, completely brilliant. different. That's I lost cool. all my fitness. I was away for two weeks, but I, it was one of the best experiences uh, of my life. Yeah. So try and find something different and that's yeah. probably my key and with that uh, I suppose just to finish off what, what else have you got lined up then Alan what, what have you got in the diary for the rest of the year and into next year well yeah the rest of this year there's a, there's a couple of races coming up uh, at the end of this month there's on the the month the weekend of the 25th 26th and 27th of October there's like five different great events on yeah. there's the, the Taiwan Com which I've done twice, which is amazing. So I'm not going back to that. There's a hot route, King Cheng. It's a three-day hot route in China. Oh, okay. uh, I'm, I'm thinking of going to it. But also that weekend, there's the Etap Thailand, which is a one-day yeah. race, but it's on closed roads by the same people that do Etap the Tour in France. Yep. So I, I'm thinking of Is that around that. Chiang Mai? Or? No, it's not. It's in uh, Pang Na. So you fly to Phuket. And yep. it's, uh, the Master's Tour of Chiang Mai is on next week. One of the best amateur stage races in the world, I would say. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to it because I'm going to be in New York for family stuff, family, friend stuff. Yeah. And then the tour of Kepri is uh, at the end of November. It was cancelled two weeks ago because of the haze, which yeah. is a shame. It's a three-day stage race. It takes place in Batam and Bintan. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm doing that. 
Apart from that, th- that's about it for this year. I, I don't. There might be a few other races, but I. Winding. You've got to pop bit. over the border and do some, uh, do a couple of Everest things in Malaysia. I'm sure there's a few hills there that well, need to be knocked it, off. Uh, Genting Highlands. There's. Uh, yeah. You can't get all the way to the top now. They don't, they don't let cyclists get all the way to the top, but you could go halfway up. Yeah. Fraser's Hill would be great, one, but it's not steep enough. And it's the same with the Cameron Highlands. They're not steep enough. Yeah. You don't want to be there all day. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking maybe I'd like to do an Everest in Scotland in the summer because yes. then you could do it with no darkness. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. get dark. It only gets dark for two, three, three hours. hours. Yeah, so yeah. So uh, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I. But we'll see. Yeah, very cool. Well, well, we look forward to reporting on some of them when you do do them. But um, Alan, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet. You're like a, a legend within the cycling scene here in uh, in Singapore. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, mate, it's been... Um, uh, you've done some like crazy stuff. You certainly were an inspiration for me and I hope hopefully you'll be an inspiration for some other people to take on some crazy crazy challenges. But yeah, thank you for, for coming on the podcast and uh, yeah, look forward to getting out for a ride with you soon, yes, mate. Yes, got to do that. Let's uh, we'll we'll get our uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll let our worlds collide. And we'll go out on the mountain bike, and then uh, yeah, I'm like I'm more of a trail person. So yeah, we'll um, yeah we'll get out around the trails in Singapore soon. Thanks, Scott. Really enjoyed having a chat with you. It's great. Cool, good man. Cheers. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hello, Mr. Rick Stockfish. Uh, Good to see you, sir. How you doing, Scott? I'm all right, mate. Yeah, I'm all right. It was um, interesting it, interview with Alan there. Yeah, it was really good to uh, to meet him. I've like known about him for a while on the Singapore cycling scene as the founder of uh, Maverick Specialized, and uh, and obviously as the like seen his race reports on the uh, uh, um, doing the Everesting. Um, and how cool is it that? After inviting him onto the podcast, he was like, right, okay, I've got to make myself worthy to, to be on the Endurance Asia podcast. Yeah, it's crazy that he thought he wasn't, but yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, it's great. Yeah, and the, I mean, he's got a, um, a good blog called Flat Spoke Media, and he does race reports on every one of his, uh, every one of his races. But the, uh, the one for, um, yeah, the most recent Everesting uh, on Faber, the lower part of Faber, doing it completely solo. <laughs> yeah, well, you know firsthand, but anyone who doesn't know Mount Faber and just the repetition of doing that, that yeah. hill again and again. Yeah, I mean the actual the number of times he would have um, he would have actually had to do it. I think it was like three hundred thirty three kilometers in all. But um, yeah, it would have it was because um, it's two hundred two hundred sixty three laps up and down the lower part of Faber. Just the the mental fortitude you need to be able to do that and solo (laughs) solo is is crazy but um yeah impressive dude um and uh and i'm sure that he'll work out some uh some more challenges uh coming up and um but yeah there's been some other impressive performances over um over the past uh past weekend haven't they with yeah uh, not not asia based but um obviously the sub two marathon was pretty amazing it looked like pretty much everyone we know was was following that online I've got this thing whenever I watch people get to the finish line of races, no matter what it is, I just like, I just start like crying <laughs> uncontrollably. You know, we often ask people what makes them emotional. And for me, it's just watching finish lines. But that one, seeing seeing the, the paces drop off Chip Kogi and 
him like arms are spread and just like pointing to like people either side just oh mate what an unbelievable performance yeah and obviously kind of it's a bit controversial online with people sort of saying it was it's it's rigged in his favor but obviously it is and and obviously you know it doesn't detract from his achievement in any way i i just want to like like headbutt people that are like with the negative comments i'm just it frustrates me i think i saw um i saw a post that uh, nick on twitter that nick timworth liked and it was something like people on on twitter negative comments about chip kogi this is why we can't have nice things (laughs) you know like everyone just wants to I don't know whether it's just because of their own misgivings, but they just want to fucking knock people down when they just something like that. It's just so unbelievable. Well, I think the nice thing is when you, when you break it down and see the pace he had to keep for the entire run, and the fact that you know most people, us included, probably couldn't even match that pace for a single lap at the track, is just uh, it's astonishing. Yeah, and really, when we look at the. Okay, the factors that make it that it wasn't race conditions. Like, he would have people passing him gels, he, and then he had paces going in and out. And then he had, obviously, the car with the, with the, um, with the pacing and the, and the green line um, timing them. And then you can talk about the Nike Vaporfly shoe as well, yeah. which are legal, you know. Right. It's not, it's, people are actually racing uh, in those as well. But other than that, I mean, what was it that was controversial about it? Well, I don't know. I mean, you saw people kind of comparing it to obviously the four-minute mile and even to the moon landings. And the moon landings might be a bit of an overstatement, but it's yeah. a bit like people saying, oh, you, you had help getting to the moon. It doesn't count, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It just seems um, the whole point, it wasn't, he's not claiming it's a race. No one's claiming that anyone's going to do it in a race anytime soon, but just to see, just pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And that's it. And it sets the stool now. It shows that it is possible. And that, that is the thing about flicking the switch, right? That's what happened with Roger Bannister and the... And yeah. the, uh, and the um, yeah, his record, that four-minute mile record went down pretty quickly after it first got broken. And, and Kipchoge said the same. He said he expects other people to do it now. And it, and it will happen. Uh, having said that, um, for, the, for the female um, uh, marathon record, um, that, was, um, that was held from since 2004, was Something it? Something like that. Red, yeah, Paula Radcliffe, wasn't Paula it? Paula Radcliffe. Yeah, 405, I think. Um, hers, yeah, it was. Um, and was just, um, was just broken this weekend by uh, its Bridget Bridget Koskai um, on the um, on the Chicago Marathon did a did a two fourteen. So that happened at that same weekend. Um, well, and also like it wasn't that long ago that um, a couple of weeks ago back at Berlin Marathon that um, Bekele got two seconds just within two seconds of the official world record for the men's marathon. So yeah. really exciting stuff. Yeah, it's it's so cool, and um, yeah, so it, it just pushes the boundaries of what people think they're capable, yeah. of. and I, and. Um, and that's what um, that's what it's all about. That's what sports all about for me. That's what this uh, this podcast is about. Um, and yeah, there was also a um, a world record in the um, in the Ironman as well. Jan Frodeno just did um, the Ironman triathlon world champs in uh, in Kona in Hawaii. Just posted a record time. Apparently, like a really like windy um, windy day. But um, yeah, just um, yeah, like so impressive i just love like records being um being broken yeah we need to get some active we've had sort of jerry chua was previously done a lot of ironmans we haven't had anyone sort of actively competing in ironman at the moment on the pod we should try and get 
yeah that's definitely yeah and any any recommendations from people would be um would be greatly appreciated as well and you're just back down from from hong kong so you couldn't do couldn't do the wilson yeah, challenge we'd signed up for rally wilson with um uh with some friends and um in reality like and so it was cancelled due to the protests in in hong kong and actually the I arrived there because I, I still went up for some for training, but the the MTR was pretty much under lockdown. It was probably the the right move to um to to cancel the race because you have to cross um the Hong Kong harbour, harbour, yeah, 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 yeah. On, on the um on the MTR. But it was a shame. I was looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, I decided to um uh to go up and do. I wanted to finish off the four trails that I didn't do on uh, uh, when I DNF'd it in in January, and so the plan was to do from um, the last two sections of the Wilson, so from Quarry Bay um, or Taiku over to Stanley, and then do Hong Kong Trail and then do Lantau, um, and I did it overnight. So like I landed at 10 p.m. and just went straight for um, uh, yes, yeah, I went straight to the trails basically, dropped my bag and did it through the night, and so I did. Um, Oh mate, the twins is a killer. Like even on fresh legs, and it was hot as hell as well in Hong Kong. Um, and it, yeah, that was, even doing the first part, I was like, okay, this is going to be a like long night and and day. Um, and then when still you still knocked off Hong Kong Trail in what under seven hours? Yeah, I did it six fifty. So like after speaking to Tomo as well, and like he did the seven hours uh, after having done the uh, the Mac and the Wilson and. So I did it in 6.50 and on relatively fresh legs. And honestly, I ran like the the whole thing, basically. Uh, And so I wasn't like running, I was keeping within heart rate. But it just made me realise what an incredible run that was from Tomo. What an absolutely incredible run. Doing that in the sub seven uh, with 180k in the legs. (sighs) What a fucking athlete. Like really impressive. But... But yeah, and I ended up. I lost my phone at the at the peak, and so I had to abort the the Lantau Trail. But um, to be honest, I would have been broken in, on Lantau. It was really hot day in Hong Kong, so yeah, it was um, it was probably a good thing um, that we didn't have the Rally Wilson because it would have been a ah, I mean, it would have been a, would have been a tough race. But, um, but yeah, there was the force of nature the week before that. The um, the sort of trail marathon in Hong Kong, the, the the team there kindly invited us along to, to race. Yeah, it was a good event, wasn't it? It was well, um, started a bit late, um, but otherwise was pretty well organised and uh, a good fun day out. You did pretty well coming in fifth Yeah, in the, in the full distance. Yeah, I was aiming for like a four hour and I came in like, I think 4.05 or something. Um, wasn't the most competitive of, um, of fields, but the uh, it's a nice race. I, I'd highly recommend anyone to try it. There is, um, uh, it did start a little late. Um, there was, um, yeah, just there was a big queue of people picking up their race packs at the end, but it's kind of fine. I mean, it meant people were running in sun for a half hour longer. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good turnout, and I think it's a good way of showcasing the, the trails in Singapore. Yeah, it's and it was lot. predominantly all trail. There was, yeah. no, it wasn't too much road. It was well marked course. Um, I thought the aid stations were really well mm-hmm. manned. Um, uh, my, my only issue, and I mentioned to the race director, my um, one of the issues bit of the late start but also just the um the amount of plastic as well i mean it's mm. sponsored by volvic um but um they were just using like the two liter bottles to yeah. fill up right it would have been nice if they had like had the recyclable one i mean it's 
uh, like leaving no trace is becoming more and more mm -hmm. important in uh, in races, right? Um, but yeah, it was a. Um, I, I mean, we we need more races in Singapore, right? I think it doesn't get a massive turnout from the field because it's on a course that everyone runs all the yeah. time, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was um, there was actually a, the Craze Ultra this weekend. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw. I was following a bit of that online. Yeah. So that that runs sort of around the north of Singapore a bit, but um, that's been running for quite a while. I think that one. Yeah, it's a pretty flat, hundred kilometer. But um, uh, Roman, who's um, uh, like we've run with a few times, the um, the one that did uh, the Denali, of Bukatima. He uh, he won it actually. He did it in uh, like t uh, ten hours, uh, ten and a half hours, and uh, and smashed it. He's been in like great training for me he's been training for some of the races in the Alps and then Alvin uh, Alvin Pung who's um, oh, yeah. who works at Red Dot Running with Jerry he uh, he came in second um, yeah so um, the Asia, Asia Trail Masters is hotting up as well yeah building towards I think is it the, the Malaysia Mountain Trail Festival is the kind of season finale and yeah in a couple of weeks couple of months maybe yeah i think it's in um in december the um the the final um the final race of the of the season um and yeah they've also got the ultra trail chiang mai which is coming up uh is it this weekend yeah yeah, yeah. it's um um which is the 200 and is that abby's doing that one i think isn't he yeah i think um yeah, so is uh, Alessandro Sherpa as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the one uh, there was one in uh, Mount Tullinis um, in uh, in the Philippines just um, a couple of weekends ago um, with uh, Christian Jorgensen, the guy that um, smashed the Hong Kong Four Trails last uh, in January. He uh, he won it, but there's a bit of controversy around uh, around missing a checkpoint. I think um, I think Alessandro Sherpa, who came in second, was. Uh, showed a bit of frustration on social media, but justifiably so. Um, but I think your your um, Christian was like pretty like honest about it. I saw a <laughs> video of him at the end saying, "Yeah, I'm a uh, um, yeah." He like offered to have a time penalty and that, but I think he he you know he finished about an hour or so in, in, yeah. in front. But it's good to see Asia Trailmasters. Their profiles kind of seems to be on the up a bit. More people are aware of it. They revamped the website recently, and it's all just. Uh, it's it's a really interesting series and, it, and they visit some really interesting places. Yeah. Um, you and I have done a few of the few of the races that are affiliated with them, and um, you know anyone anyone looking for for something new to race at around Asia would be yeah be well advised to check them out. Absolutely, AsiaTrailMaster dot com and um, and it's a good format because it's it. Um I mean the the rankings are based upon sort of where you rank in each race, so encourage you can be quite strategic mm -hmm. about which races you do, which are sort of like they're less competitive. So you, um, I think you was it your top five results count or something like that? Yeah. Um, so you can you know you can always go back and and it needs to be in at least two different countries, I believe. Right. So I think if there's like three or four races in one country, then you can do that, but you need to at least travel once for it. But they're broadening their repertoire a bit. I saw they've got, they've got a couple of races in Laos now, and, and they just had some candidate races, or they just had a candidate race in India last weekend. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's one to watch that, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it, was, um, the, it would be good to get the, um, the founder of, mm -hmm. uh, of that on as well. Um, yeah, so mate, you are um, yeah, you've got like D Day t tomorrow, right? Yeah, well, yeah, getting ready for uh, for baby number two, and uh, just squeezing in the last few runs where I can. But um, 
Yeah, all good. Very exciting. Yeah, mate. I'm excited for you, and um, you're gonna have to get one of the get a running stroller, mate. Yeah, that's the plan. (laughs) Very good. Um, So um, yeah, so we've got. uh, we actually got a, a next one planning coming up is to get a nutritionist on, on the pod and um, uh, but um, yeah we'll um, we'll we'll speak to you all in a couple of weeks. Be sure to follow on all the socials and um, uh, and uh, and connect with us there. Yeah, recommend anyone you want to hear hear us talk to. Um, we've started to talk to a few brands as well about products and things like that, and so anyone. Um, anyone out there who's who's working for a brand and wants to get a bit of extra exposure get in touch and we'll see see if we can give it a test on the pod yeah we're interested in like uh, trying out some testing some new gear as well um so yeah thanks very much cheers rick all good thanks like the truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad